values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. So I have been saying for the last week, uh, all week long, I have been saying we, uh, I don't know, I don't have answers to a lot of these questions. I'm not calling anyone a liar. Senator Sinema came on this show, was very convincing as to what was in this piece of uh, proposed legislation that she had hoped the Senate was going to take up and debate and eventually pass, and the House would match it and get something to the president's desk. And she was convincing with the things that she said. And then, to give equal time, I brought on Congressman Andy Biggs, somebody else I know very well. And uh, uh, Congressman Biggs came on and said, there's a lot of holes in this. There's a lot of loopholes they're going to be taking advantage of. There are bad things in here that I don't like, and I don't think it can be fixed. And it was dead on arrival in the House, and it didn't even pass the Senate. Senator Sinema, very frustrated about this. And so now the political battle is on. Well, one person that's not a politician is Brandon Judd. Brandon Judd is the president of the Border Patrol Council. In other words, the union that oversees the rank and file of Border Patrol agents or represents them, I should say. He's also an agent himself. He's testified many times before Congress. He's almost 30 years, I think, he's been in um He's been in the Border Patrol, and he's very outspoken, was an outspoken supporter of Donald Trump, is an outspoken supporter of Donald Trump, and then he became outspoken in being in favor of big pieces of this piece of legislation. So now I've set the table. We had Brandon on this morning. I encourage you to go to KTAR.com, go to the podcast, go to the KTAR News YouTube channel, subscribe to that, and watch some of the videos and and hear some of these interviews. It's a fascinating place to catch these, these stories. But I I want you to hear a little bit of what he had to say. He talked about, and he jumped into this. It was barely an introduction, and he jumped in because he was excited to clarify a few things. This is he talking about the border. Has zero cap. So in the month of December, our current law codified 10,000 apprehensions per day. In the month of January, our current law codified 6,700 apprehensions per day. Let's talk about three days ago because the numbers are now in. Three days ago, we apprehended, we, we took, I'm sorry, we arrested 6,528 people. Of those 6,528 people, we released 6,313 of those people. So the frustration is this. I'm going to let, and there's a lot more for you to hear. The frustration is this. And he said this, and I may play it in a few moments, that the president could stop all that from happening right now if he wanted to. That's just a fact. The president could, if he wanted to, stop that from happening right now with policy changes. But as Brandon Judd said, he isn't. He isn't. So he talked about the number 5,000. If you don't know what the criticism has been, it's the 5,000 person threshold. At 4,000 people presenting themselves in a day for a week, the president has the discretion to shut down the border. If it reaches 5,000 a day for a week, it automatically triggers the shutdown of the border. But the complaints from the other side have been, why are we letting 5,000 people in every single day before we shut down the border? Here's what Brandon Judd said. We wouldn't have been able to take into custody 6,500 people. We would have only been able to take into custody 5,000 of those people. That is a huge drop. In the month of December, we wouldn't have been able to take into, into custody 10,000 people. We would have only been able to take into custody 5,000 people. The rest that cross the border illegally, we would have just um, taken right back and kicked them back to Mexico. So that talking point is complete junk. And everybody that uses it, they know it. They know it's junk. So we talked about the credible fear standard. The 
credible fear standard of what it takes to say I have a credible fear of being in my home country, therefore I deserve asylum in this country. Uh, he said that fear standard was raised during the Trump administration. They took Trump to court. It was then said, then maybe he's going to say that in this piece, that you know the courts said he didn't have the authority to do it. This is the authority that would raise that credible fear standard and make it harder for people to have a convincing argument to be here based on fear. Credible fear is, the, is one of the main reasons that we have all of the releases that we have. 90% of the people that cross the border illegally, when they're given a credible fear interview, they're found to have a credible fear, which triggers a release. They're autom- they automatically get a release. Under this bill, it would have raised the credible fear to Trump level credible fears. So that is part of it as well, is that the standard by which you meet certain criterias. Um, Talked about Border Patrol agents being in the field, but he's talked about bad policies, bad administration policies. He believes this bill, the good things in this bill, would stop those policies. This bill would have enhanced Republican president's abilities to control our border. It would have handcuffed bad administration. So the Biden administration would have been handcuffed. You know, there's also this talking point that of, well, he's not going to enforce the laws anyway. Why why are we going to give him a, a, a law when he's not going to enforce it. Well, then why'd you pass H.R. 2 then? What was the point in passing H.R. 2 if he was just going to violate it? Also, that's why we have separation of powers. That's why we have the judicial system. If he violates the law, you sue him. So if you listen to him speak, he's talking about why, how this bill would stop bad policies. I'm going to read one. I want you to hear one more thing he talked about um, in the positive. Why did they support this? If you don't support it, it doesn't even see the light of day. You can't even make amendments. There were bad things in this bill and those bad things needed to be taken out. But unless it goes to the floor for debate, you can't even offer up amendments. So what we've been saying is keep the good, get rid of the bad. But if you don't support it, it doesn't even see the light of day. You can hear me breathing like I was going to jump in. And the, the question I had for him is one I did not have the answer to. And he does. And this is what he says. The question is, who decides to shut down the border? The 5,000 5, is triggered. The border is shut down. But then who decides when the border gets to open again? Is it the president? Does he get to say when the border uh, reopens? And here's his answer. Over the next several days, it doesn't reopen until that number drops by 25%. So so we couldn't take anybody. So if, if we continue to have 5,000 every single day, then the border never opens back up. You continue to use your your, your authority to expel people immediately. And until those numbers drop back down to 3,500, it would remain closed. Okay. Another very good thing. So that is, that's an answer to that question. If the automatic trigger is triggered, then what happens is the border remains closed until the number of people per day drops to 3,500. So then I asked him, one of the criticisms from Congressman Biggs, which I thought was legitimate, if true, is that progressively over the next, over the th- first three years of the piece of legislation, if passed and signed, would be how many days the border could be closed. So you could reach 5,000 people a day, which we know we've seen well over that for well over a year every single day. There was a limit as to how many days the border could be closed. I asked him about that, and here's what he said. No, I don't. That's one of the bad things. But that's that that you go through the amendment process and you get rid of it. It should be closed the entire time. So 
Um, he talked to, I asked him cause he was very upset, you know, that this thing didn't reach the debate stage of, of, you know, of the bill. It was the next stage was get it to the floor. Let's begin debating where I, I, I say the Senate has this thing where they say that they're fixing to get ready. They were fixing to get ready to debate the bill. You have a vote to then debate to then vote. So last thing I want you to hear right now is I asked him, have you reached out to some of the Republicans that said no at the beginning? Are they listening and are they being swayed? Yes, I have been speaking with an awful lot of people. And yes, they are very, very receptive to the good things. And, and we're trying to get those good things. We're, we're, we want to get those good things. Again, I'm going to say this over and over again. Keep the good. Take out the bad. So. Coming up, what we're going to do, we're going to do more of this, by the way, before the show is over. But now you can hear the passion in his voice. Go find the interview. Go to the KTAR YouTube channel, KTAR.com. You can see the interview in its entirety. Listen to the interview in its entirety and hear what Brandon Judd has to say for support for this. In a moment, new EPA regulations may have big effects on the state of Arizona. We'll get to that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, new EPA restrictions and regulations are coming in. We're going to talk about the effects of this in a moment. But Phoenix may see more no-burn days as stricter EPA laws crack down on soot pollution. There's other big things in this. and I, I goof on this every year. Uh, if you have asthma, I hear from people with asthma that um, I'm being insensitive. But hear me out for a moment. Every year, and I didn't do it this year year because I was, I I can't remember why I didn't talk about it, but I make a prediction every holiday and it's not a prediction that is very difficult. It's the easiest no brainer lock. If you're going to call it a bet that there is, and it's every year during the holidays, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, there is going to be the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality, the ADEQ, puts out a notification of a no-burn day. Can't light a fire on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Magic. It's magic every year that the air quality, because it's supposed to be a scale, and when the air quality gets to a certain place of of, of not being good, then it, it triggers some of these things. And uh, magically, every year, the air quality, something happens on the 23rd of December that on the 24th and 25th, it's so bad you can't light a fire. And then magically, it's okay until the next couple of days, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, magically, no burn days, not allowed. And they actually, I don't know if they still do, they used to send people out looking for it. They'd drive through neighborhoods where there were fireplaces, and they'd write people a summons. They would tell them, you have to put out your fire. They would fine you. That's what they were doing. So I, 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 it happens every year. But with these new standards, the new Biden administration Environmental Protection Agency on Wednesday announced that it had finalized a major clampdown on fine particle pollutions known as PM 2.5 or particulate matters that is less than 2.5 micrometers in diameter. These tiny specks of pollution generated by fire, vehicular travel and industry lodge in human airways and are especially harmful to people experiencing or susceptible to heart or lung conditions. So with this new compliance, it could affect not just 
the fires you light and inconvenience you and make you mad at stuff, but it's going to affect economic development in a lot of other places, too. The president of the United States has got an all-out assault on uh, of on natural gas. As a matter of fact, so much so that there are uh, people that are attorney generals for states um, warning that the Biden's natural gas moratorium violates federal law and they demand a reversal. A coalition of 22 state attorneys State attorneys general from are warning the Biden administration about his recent moratorium. I bring these things up because these are the policy issues. You want to talk about personalities, which we end up talking about all the time in elections. These are the things that matter the most to me. I've heard from, and by the way, they've left me alone since I started confronting people on this. The Biden administration began their administration by knocking down oil production and going after fossil fuel companies. He promised to do it when he debated Bernie Sanders. He promised to do it while he was campaigning, and he did it at the beginning of his administration. There's no doubt about it with pipelines and everything else. He effectively stopped in its tracks the Resolution Copper Mine in Superior, Arizona. And this was the one where I I consider myself to be an environmentalist. And people think I'm joking when I say that. I am not joking. I love this place. I've been here for 29 years. It is beautiful, and I want it to remain pristine. I do, for my grandkids and for everyone. And I will tell you, there is no bigger environmentalist in my mind than the hunters and anglers in our community, the people that hunt and fish in the beautiful outdoors in Arizona. And I can tell you, having been to the Resolution Copper Mine, it is the most revolutionary, environmentally friendly project that this planet has ever seen. 20% of the world's copper needs, that is including the jump toward electric vehicles that this president is mandating. 20% of the copper needs of this nation for the next 60 years, 50 to 60 years, can be met from the Resolution Copper Mine and the copper they found there. I've been in the mine. I met with the leaders that work out at the mine. And it's funny, one of the biggest pushbacks has been from some of the tribes in Arizona concerned about sacred land. I met tribal members that work for the mine. Um, the reason why I say this is environmentalism is one thing. Activism is another, especially when it affects policy. What that mine would do, and we've, we're a mining state. You go look at the huge amount of mining that goes on around Arizona, and it's still a very beautiful place. It can be done environmentally friendly by people like us, Americans. When you look at how the carbon footprint that everybody's so concerned about, the U.S. has gone down, the competitors, you look at Russia and you look at China and you look at these other places that are benefiting by our restrictions. And what's happened within the oil industry is after we watched OPEC do what they did and the Biden administration go and beg them not to do it, but they did it anyway. And he couldn't make a deal with the Iranians. He couldn't make a deal with the Venezuelans. He very quietly started changing the way he did things here in the U.S. And then in the last few months, we've seen that U.S. oil production is higher than it's ever been. Now, he doesn't want his base to hear that. But that's what's happened because the world still needs it and no one does it better than we do. Now it's the assault on natural gas. Well, what's going to happen to the price of liquefied natural gas in Europe? What's going to happen to the nations that need it? Well, I can tell you one of the byproducts that's already happening is when the prices go up and we have projects here that aren't moving forward, Russia benefits. 
So we are spending billions and billions and billions and maybe another 60 billion in funding Ukraine so that they can arm themselves and that they can defend themselves against the Russian invasion. At the same time, we're helping drive up not only price, but demand for liquefied natural gas from the Russians. Policy matters. Policy matters. And you got to pay close attention to it. We'll go back to another topic in a moment. The Arizona superintendent of schools believes the governor is holding back arts funding and it's going to damage public school kids. We'll talk about what this story says and what it doesn't say next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, you could win tickets to see the legendary comedian Jeff Dunham, or as Peanut calls him, Dunham, at the Footprint Center on February 21st for his still-not-canceled tour. Head to the contest page at KTAR.com for your chance to win and complete details. He's more than a comedian. That dude's a great entertainer. I love Jeff Dunham. I love that guy. I think he's one of the most talented people people I've ever seen. I'd love, if anybody knows him, I want him on the show before he goes, before he's on stage, I want him on the show. I think it'd be great. Um, So we talked about this earlier. The superintendent of public instruction says that the governor is withholding a bunch of funds, $4.7 million to be exact, from being allocated to teachers to be used on art supplies, uh, paintbrushes, uh, props for plays, and things of that nature. And he believes it's going to be damaging to the arts. Uh, we've not heard from the governor, at least not from when I saw this this morning. They have not made a comment. Um, this isn't about hammering the governor and her decisions. But I have questions, and the questions about education for me, I find some of the um, discrepancies in people's opinions kind of absurd. Um, There are those that would say athletics uh, come last, that they would say, in some cases, the arts, the music programs have been dramatically cut. I'm not a musician. By the way, it's one of the biggest One of the only regrets in my life is that I've never learned to play a musical instrument. I don't know anybody that loves music more than I love it. And weird, all all over the place styles of music. I wish I could play guitar. I would love to learn to play piano. I just haven't. But... I do understand the discipline that it takes, and I know what it brings. Uh, Having been a football coach for a long time, I watched, I admired what the band, what the marching band did. Not just what they did in the stands with the crowd, but the halftime show and the practice that it takes and the dedication. When you say that those programs are non-essential, when you say they're not as important as other academic programs, I would look at those things and I would say, if you and I were to pick apart the budgets of the school districts that we live in or we pay taxes in, We would be surprised at some of the things that are also considered classroom curriculum that they think are more important than these extracurricular activities. I'm not pointing the finger at the governor. I'm using this as a launching point for a bigger conversation in our public schools. There is a reason why parents are leaving the public school system. Now, to be very honest, there are still the vast majority of families are staying in the public school system. It remains a viable popular way to educate your kids, but they are concerned in the public school system about the loss of revenue they are facing from the students whose parents are taking them to other forms of education, charter schools, traditional schools, home schools, micro schools. And I will tell you that um, I remember, I think all of us remember what it was like going to the football games on Friday nights and 
the camaraderie, the pep rallies and surrounding other sports. When my brother was playing high school sports, he was a superstar in baseball. They were in the playoffs every year. The year after he graduated, they won the state championship. Um, uh, my brother was in two state finals in football, lost both games, but made it to the state finals twice. Um, that school still is a perennial powerhouse. It's kind of like a brophy. Uh, my brother went as a scholarship kid. Um, had it not been for those extracurricular team sports, he wouldn't be um, the person he is. I can count on one hand as the oldest brother the number of games I missed of his, Little League, Pop Warner football, all the way through high school sports. And then I would drive 12 hours to Tennessee to watch him play college football. Um I say that because it is more than just athletics. There are life lessons that are learned. My nephew, my all three of my brother's kids were athletes. My two nieces were great athletes in high school. They both have graduated. But the youngest is a sophomore in high school and he plays basketball. And I went and I watched him play some feature games in New York in January. Um, the teamwork, the dedication, the discipline, the commitment, all of those things, we call him LB, are going to make LB a better man when he gets older. And when you talk about the arts, again, I'm not an artist, I'm not a musician, I would love to play an instrument. By by saying we can't fund this or we've got to pull this money back, whether the governor has actually done that or not, when you look at these things, you think there is so much enrichment. And when someone says there's only so much money to go around, we have to I, – I understand that. I absolutely understand it. But then let's prioritize. Uh, and I mean this. Why don't we take a look at the curriculum out there? You know, what are you paying for your math, your reading, your science, your history, um, all of these things, English, whatever it is? What are you paying for those curriculums? And then what about the other things? All of the things that are supposed to squash the isms, the homophobia, the xenophobia, racism, sexism, all of the other things that you're paying for and using class time for. Don't you honestly see that if you put kids in a situation with the right coaches, with people that understand it's as much about the life lessons as it is about wins and losses, maybe even more so. That the lessons that these kids can learn about working together and camaraderie and teamwork and win with dignity or win with grace, lose with dignity. Um, it's a valuable. Those are valuable lessons. Now let's prioritize. If you don't think that the right people in the right places teach those things to children through team sports, athletics, or the arts, where it's a team situation, the creativity that comes out, um, I can't paint, um, but the creativity that comes out when you have an art class, we did a silk screening thing when I was in high school, and I hated high school. I was a terrible student, which makes me a hypocrite on this subject now as an adult. It's true. But we did silk screening, and I couldn't believe it. I loved it so much. My buddy and I actually designed the logo for our high school wrestling team, well, I was on the wrestling team, t-shirts. Our team wore our design on the shirts. It was the coolest accomplishment I can tell you about at that age. To take those things away and say that there's other things that are more important, I would argue with you that they are as important as coursework. They are as important. Learning to read is going to get you to be able to learn for the rest of your life. Learning to coexist and be on a team with people is going to make you a much better employee and a much better human being, a much better spouse and a much better parent someday. 
And I think that we are missing the boat if we're going to start cu- cutting programs like this. Um, it, and I just will I'm going to be anxious to see how the governor's office responds when because the media has been asking them about these cuts. I'm anxious to see what it does. Uh, Coming up in a moment, we'll go back to the topic of the elections. How are the individual candidates doing in races for president? What issues are they winning on and what do they believe is going to get them over the top? We'll get to that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, we went over this a little bit earlier. I think it's interesting. The poll numbers and who's winning and who's losing is going to shift back and forth between now and November when it comes to the presidential race. Right now, there's a lot of hypotheticals. Donald Trump is considered to be the nominee for the Republicans, but it's not a done deal yet. He's got a lot of legal issues in front of him. How will voters actually respond if and when he's the nominee and some of these court cases come to a conclusion? Will it actually change the way they actually vote? It's one thing to speak in hypotheticals. I would never do this. I always do that until you're faced with that. When the hypothetical is no longer a hypothetical. Well, look at the sanctuary cities around the country. You know, Chicago is a sanctuary city. D.C. is a sanctuary city. New York is a sanctuary city and a sanctuary state. When faced with the reality of having that happen to you, they change their tune sometimes in actuality. So the poll numbers we know are going to fluctuate. But when you look at the areas right now, where Joe Biden is strong, where Donald Trump is strong, and then you wonder, okay, how is that going to play in actually? There are one-issue voters. I, you know, Being on the right side of the aisle as I am, there are people whose issue and only issue is the right to life. It's the only thing that matters to them. And so um, you have got to be a strong pro-life candidate or they're not going to vote for you. Even if you're a Republican that's pro-choice against a Democrat that's pro-choice, as a protest vote, many of them would vote to be um, would vote against the Republican. Um, as some people are border issue people. You know people out there that their environment. If you're an environmentalist and you believe the number one threat uh, of uh, against the world in humanity is climate change, if you believe that to be true, you're going to vote for Joe Biden. You may all the other considerations that people are talking about, the ability to do another term in office, all of those things go by the wayside. If you don't like him on the economy, you don't think he's the best on that. If you don't think he's the best on the border security issue, but it comes to environmentalism, you're voting for Joe Biden. In the end, what will the American people do if those are the two choices they're given? That's the issue. We can talk until we're blue in the face about how we wish we had other options. The Democrats could get another candidate. They could have a primary process that was fair to another candidate to give the Democratic voters in this country an opportunity to vote for somebody else. And that's not how it works. It didn't do it with Hillary Clinton in 2016. That that primary process was controlled. The, the Republicans on the other side, same way. If they wanted, if they honestly wanted, Nikki Haley is an option. And they've had many options. If you looked at some of the people that were on that day on the on the dais, if the if the staunch Republicans wanted another nominee, they could have had one. And right now it doesn't look like they are going to. But for the voters out there that have been vocal in saying, I wish we had two other choices. If you don't, what do you do? 
you got a few choices. One is you hold your nose and you vote for the one you think is most capable of doing some good things in the next four years. You don't vote at all and you stay away from the polls or you go and vote and you just don't vote for president. You write somebody else's name in as a protest. Those are your options. And what will the American public choose? When you look at where they are strong, um, I just mentioned a couple of them. The current president is strong, better than support of the American people. He is more supported by the American people and his stance on abortion. He also is higher, more highly trusted in uh, human, humanely treating migrants. Trump leads on border security, ability to direct the economy, on the ability to do the job both physically and mentally. In the study, not my words, their words in the study. But in the end, when you have to walk into the privacy of that voting booth or from the comfort of your home and your mail-in ballot, when you have to cast your vote, I want you to think about it. What will it be if you're an undecided voter? If you're decided, it doesn't matter. But if you're someone that legitimately doesn't know, what are the issues that are going to sway you? When nobody can see how you vote, when nobody can argue with you about how you vote unless you tell them, in that moment, who do you find best equipped to do the job? Now, I'll tell you, that's not an ideal situation. When you look at our elections, I think there have been a lot of elections where people will say, you know, I wish we had some better options. But go back to 2016. There were a lot of people that elected Donald Trump president in 2016, and many, many people in exit polling and interviews later on said it truly was a lesser of two evils vote. She was immensely untrusted by Democrats. The number one, you know, when you do word association, the number one word associated with Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election cycle was a version of the word liar, that nobody trusted her, even her own party. She lost that election. You look at what's going on. There's now four years of Donald Trump, and he's got a resume. He lost to Joe Biden with a promise of fixing all of the things that Trump had gotten wrong. Now we're going to have, by November, four years, or just before four years, of a Biden administration. Is it promises made, promises kept? Did the nation flourish and did the nation improve in the way that Joe Biden said it was? Or are people going to look at the four years of Donald Trump and say, I would rather warts and all knowing what I get with a Donald Trump. I would much rather have that flawed human being. And that's what they say about him than have the current administration because I don't think he's capable of the job. To me, this is going to be one of the most exciting election years. We didn't even get into the Senate race here in Arizona and other things. It's going to be one of those years where the decisions by the American people are going to send a huge, huge message. What will be the biggest issue? How about this deficit we've created and continue to create? Does that matter? Does that play a role in this? I I think it's a fascinating conversation. In the next hour of the show, of course, at 11 20. We get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. We're going to talk about the border. We're also going to talk about those deficits, the Congressional Budget Office predicting huge deficit increases. That's our topic next.